Hi, everyone. Welcome back to my podcast. I have a guest on today. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Kate. I'm a registered dietitian, and you can find me on Instagram at Kate's Daily Eats. Um, I'm also a graduate student at the University of Denver studying counseling psychology, and um, I treat athletes with eating disorders. Yeah, so on your account, you talk a lot about your running and your whole running story. How did you get into running? Did you grow up running or did you just start at a random age? Yeah, so I left that part out. I forgot. I am a runner. I ran this morning. Um, and it used to definitely be a bigger part of my identity, but um, I still love to run. I grew up playing soccer, basketball, and softball. And then I skied with my family during the winter. Um, and then I got to high school and everyone convinced me like all my friends convinced me to do indoor track because it was more of like a social sport and pretty much everyone signed up to do it so I was like I may as well um and I found out that I really liked running um and just on a whim I I tried the 3200 my sophomore year and I qualified for state and so after that I kind of realized that I had potential in the sport and I got really competitive and ended up running at UConn. Wow. And what made you in high school stick with it? Like you tried track, indoor track. What made you stick with it and be like, oh, okay, I'll pursue this? Yeah, I think it was that moment when I tried long distance. At first Mm -hmm. I was sprinting because my coach pretty much just had everyone sprint. Um, Not really sure why, Um, but I would run like the 300 on the indoor track and definitely wasn't very good. Um, So then I pretty much multiplied that distance by 10. And I found a lot of success. So I think once that happened, I just became like more dedicated because I could see my potential. And so um, it was really fun to see the improvements every week, month, year. Um, And so I decided to do outdoor track. And then when I decided I wanted to run in college, I realized that distance runners usually run cross country, um, which is stating the obvious, but I didn't know that at the time. I was very um, naive, I guess, in in the running world, which was honestly really nice. Um, And so I decided to run cross country my junior year of high school and didn't really like it at first, but it became something that I really loved um, once I kind of got better at it. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Cross country can definitely um I think everyone has mixed feelings there's it's very split in the running community whether it's track or cross country is better absolutely absolutely and I think what's cool is that if you're a distance runner you can do both and you can have fun in all three seasons or all two seasons whatever you end up doing yeah yeah on your account you've also mentioned healing from an eating disorder how did running and the pressure put on performance in sport collide with your eating disorder and how did it affect that? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I think, you know, there are a lot of things that go into eating disorders, whether it be genetics, environment, um, you know, temperament, all of those kind of factors. And I think I definitely have the temperament, um, you know, type A personality, wanting to be a perfectionist, that kind of thing. So I think that definitely predisposed me and then being in an environment where Um, you know, I've never really felt satisfied with my time or my place. I think that really played into, 
you know, wanting to do everything in my power to be the best I could be. And, um, you know, unfortunately that turned into something that was not helpful in the long run. Um, and the unfortunate thing is, you know, I see a lot now as I practice as a registered dietitian, a lot of, um, athletes, they, they might see progress initially, um, when they're kind of engaging in eating disorder behaviors, but then as time goes on, um, it affects them pretty negatively. Uh, and, you know, as a coping mechanism, it, it's, it's not very helpful. And so I think something that I try to share on Instagram is the fact that, you know, you can be, um, a healthy, a healthy runner without having to, um, be a perfectionist or you could be a good runner. Um, and the best, I guess the best version of yourself is the healthiest version of yourself. Yeah. And at what point in your journey, because did you run, you ran D1 at UConn? Yes. And at what point did you know you had to take a step back and for your mental and physical health? Yeah, it was early on in my time at UConn. And, um, I think I realized, you know, this isn't, I think I realized that, you know, it didn't have to be that way for the longest time. I thought like, oh, you know, I just have to eat healthy to be a good runner. And, you know, the health, healthy eating, quote unquote, was very disordered in my case. And so I think that kind of recognizing that through, um, you know, my own study of nutrition and also following people on Instagram like registered dietitians on Instagram who would talk about things like relative energy deficiency in sport and amenorrhea and kind of the things that I was experiencing. I realized, oh, this isn't okay. Um, I, I need to fix this because it could result in, you know, me not being able to run. So that's kind of when the fear of that kind of outweighed any of the reasons I would continue to um, engage in the behaviors I was engaging in. Yeah. And I think as runners, it is so important that we're talking about relative energy deficiency in sport, because I see so many runners and I even know from my personal experience, doctors will kind of dismiss it and say, oh, it's okay. Like your period will come back eventually. It's like, but Mm -hmm. this is crucial to your bone health, to your reproductive system. And it's not talked about enough at all. Absolutely. You know, I've, I've had coaches in the past, doctors in the past just say, oh no, you're, you're a runner. Like, it's okay if you're underweight, it's okay if you're not getting your period. And, you know, it might be common, but that doesn't mean that it's normal. And I think that we've normalized it in our society and it's just, it's really ends up hurting, um, hurting us in the long run. Yeah. And you should never have to sacrifice your mental or physical health for performance, especially something that's so short-term gratification. Cause you know, being told 10 years down the road, your bone density is awful and you can never have kids, you know, that would be Mm -hmm. awful compared to stepping back now and fixing a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's hard to have athletes buy into that when it's, it's such long-term in the future. So I think something that's helpful is, you know, talking about the present. Well, like, what are you facing now? Are you facing you know, a plateau in your performance? Are you tired all the time? Do you have injuries right now? Those kind of things. And being like, okay, well, if you're feeling more, that's like something we can work on and, and that can help you, um, you know, perform better. And I think the, the ability when, 
they're able to buy into the performance factors more than the health sometimes, which makes sense when, when the um, health factors are more down the line, but clearly more important. (laughs) Yeah. How did you feel mentally and physically stepping away from running? Yeah, I think it was, it was, I'm not going to downplay it. It was very hard. And I think for, for a long time it was hard. And I realized that for me, it was because so much of my identity was wrapped up in it. And um, I remember one of my therapists talked about how, you know, it's okay that running means a lot to you. And there are other things in your life that um, like, if you think of a graph running was like through the roof, like super high and everything else wasn't, you know, as tall. And it was kind of like, okay, how can you add to the other aspects of your life? Not necessarily taking away from running, but adding to other aspects of your life so that your identity isn't all consuming. And I think it's cool to see how far I've come. Cause even at the beginning, I, I forgot to mention I'm a runner. Um, and I think that that's pretty cool because yes, it's definitely part of who I am, but it's not how it used to be where it was like everything you know, my, my self-worth really depended on how well I did as a runner. Yeah. And the thing I see, and I'm sure you've seen an experience too, with a lot of people who run is so much of your worth and your identity is placed in running. And then all of a sudden it's stripped away from you by an injury where you have to stop for recovery. And all of a sudden this happened to me too. I was like, who am I? Like, who am I mm-hmm. without running, you know, and being able yeah. to discover who you are and who am I and what is my identity outside of this sport, you know, because running should always be adding to your life, but it should not be your whole life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's great. Running's awesome. And I, I never, I think as you know, an RD and future therapist, I don't want my clients to ever think that their sport doesn't matter to that. They can't, it doesn't matter to me or that they can't put as much you know, hard work and dedication into their sport, I think it's more like, okay, let's take a step back and look at your life as a whole and like who you are as a whole, because that'll only benefit you as, as an athlete. Yeah. Where was your relationship with running at the point when you decided you need to take a break? So I, I was getting pretty burnt out and kind of frustrated. I was getting these nagging injuries that just kind of kept happening. And it was kind of the beginning of an injury cycle and I could kind of see it. So that um, definitely helped push me in the right direction to change. And I just wish that it didn't have to get to that point. Um, And I think that's part of me wanting to go into the field is to like prevent people from having to, you know, for it to get to a point at which, okay, you have to stop. First, it is more preventative things. Um, At the same time, I think it can be really hard until you see how it's affecting you, like tangibly, um, to really do anything about it. Because you think, oh, everything's going well. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And then all of a sudden, everything starts to build up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And taking time off, how did that heal your relationship with running? And help you redefine what it meant to you? Yeah, that's a great question, a big question. And I think for a while, um, I was getting frustrated that I was still getting injured. And I was like, why? Like, why is this still happening? Like, 
I am ready to get back to running. I'm ready to do it in a healthy way. And I think it was like an exterior force telling me, no, you're not ready. Um, you think you are, but you're not. And um, I'm going to keep you injured until you're, you're mentally able and, you know, take that as you will. But that's what I think looking back, because it just seemed like at the time forever that I was, you know, getting back. And at that point, it wasn't because I wasn't medically stable. It was just because I was injured. I was still injured from the years of, you know, hurting my body, basically, um, and the repercussions from that. And so, you know, I would get back to running and then something else would pop up. And then just for a while, you know, even last summer, I faced three bone stress injuries at once. And I was like, okay, I think this is my sign <laughs> that I like, and it, and it forced me to take a very, like a very long break and one where I couldn't like try to go back to running and see how it felt. It was like, nope, you're not going to run for at least three months and that kind of thing. So I think that was helpful because it really like forced me to see like, you know, continue working on my relationship with exercise. Yeah. Um, and I think at this point it's, it's really cool. Cause even on Friday, you know, I did a fun race on campus and I was a little nervous to be honest, because I hadn't raced since UConn in like 2020. And so I was like, I made sure I was like, this is for fun yeah. and this is to celebrate how far I've come. And it's not about time. And, um, so that was pretty cool to be at that point. But for a while, it just felt like forever. Yeah. That I wouldn't waiting, ever get back. <laughs> waiting on your body to be ready when you think you're mentally ready is so hard. Um, but I think taking a break from running is very crucial to healing your relationship with it and just makes running like so much better and so much more doable for years and years to come versus if you're burnt out and you don't have a good relationship with it yeah and I just felt like I was like wow like getting up every day and being like I get to run today yeah. like and being yeah. so excited and getting that excitement back and that love back for racing and competing and and training and granted I don't do it nearly at the level as I used to and being okay with that too and yeah. just knowing that at this stage in my life it's like it's not a priority, but it's still something I can do after like a long day of classes or, you know, spend my Sunday morning on, on a long run, that kind of thing. And it's just something that I definitely appreciate more. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and then something I've noticed within runners is that often athletes have a very determined, hardworking mindset. How did traits you learn from running help you in your recovery and healing journey? Absolutely. I think it's so interesting. And I was actually just writing a piece for Voice and Sport on this. Um, and I think that, uh, so there are so many traits that are, you know, could be um, helpful, but they could also be hurtful. For example, perfectionism. Yeah. So I think you can really you know, that can be all consuming and very fear-based and everything depends on, you know, how you do, how successful you are. And, and that really plays into your worth and self-esteem. And then it can also be super helpful in terms of like the drive and the motivation from it to, you know, 
follow your meal plan to follow the advice of your doctor for like your return to run to, um, you know, go to therapy consistently to, uh, journal, like your thoughts throughout recovery. And I think that you can really, um, use those, they, they can be really helpful. Um, if you look at them in a different way. And I think perfectionism is a big one. Um, and then anything to do with that, just in terms of, of being driven, like that is wonderful. And just like anything, it could be taken quote unquote too far. Um, and of course that depends on the person. Yeah, for sure. What are things that you've discovered about yourself um, or hobbies you found in your time of doing other things and finding yourself outside of a sport? Yeah, definitely. Well, I love to cook and bake. And I think I found definitely a new love for that um, after like improving my relationship with food and, you know, being in the kitchen more. Um, And then also just like reestablishing relationships, making new friends and doing things with them. Because I think for a lot of people, me too, like I felt very isolated. throughout like my eating disorder and so I think that something that was important to me was like getting out there and doing things like I wouldn't normally do like going out with friends and um you know being more social I guess you could say yeah um so that's definitely something and then I don't know little things like reading more books for fun journaling um writing um painting my nails making bracelets that kind of thing so yeah, when you're nourished and your brain has energy, you're able to like do things, just small things even, like reading that you cannot do when you're just consumed by activity and food. And something I've noticed too is I can just sit and do something small for like 10 minutes and I can just be doing that, you know, and I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, okay, what am I going to eat later and everything. And the social aspect too of recovery is something that I'm so grateful for. And I'm, you probably are too, is just reconnecting with people because you never realize, like I never realized how many people I lost until I was able to rekindle those relationships. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm always grateful for those who like give me the opportunity to do so, you know, because it'd be easy, I think, to like turn your back on someone. But um, yeah, it's definitely it's cool to be able to do that. Yeah. Switching gears here, what inspired you to become an RDN? So I have, you know, I grew up in a household. My mom is a teacher. Um, She got her master's in health. So she's a health teacher for a little bit. Um, And I don't know, they were always just, you know, talk about like healthy behaviors and like eating well and whatever, not, not, diet culture luckily I wasn't around you know like weight loss or like that kind of stuff but definitely like my mom tried to buy like organic foods and just like encouraging fruits and vegetables that kind of thing and I think I always felt like oh wow that's like pretty cool also like very privileged to have grown up like that and I think I realized too once I became an athlete. And then through my own struggles, I realized just how much more important nutrition is than like what nutrition sounds like and what people think nutrition is. Um, and how people who struggle with their relationship with 
food, how I could really help them. And so I think coming from, you know, a passion for the subject in general, but then also like lived experience, um, that's kind of what drove me into the field. And at first I thought I would just do sports nutrition because I, I just love athletes, being an athlete, watching, you know, games on TV. Um, but then I, you know, after going through my experience, I was like, yeah, I really think I want to work in this niche area of, you know, athletes struggling with red S, athletes struggling with disordered eating, athletes struggling with eating disorders, um, you know, having trouble with their body image, anything related to that. Yeah. And how have your past experiences or how do you think your past experiences, even though they're not the most positive, obviously, help you in helping other people with what they're going through, dealing with red S? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I hear like a cliche saying like, turn your mess into a message. Um, And I think that that's kind of what I'm doing. And I, I think I find a lot of fulfillment in that. And I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, even if um, I'm treating people and they have no idea what my past was, I think just I've seen in other providers, like their genuine sense of, of empathy and understanding, you know, as much as you can, obviously not going to totally understand someone. Um, and just kind of like, okay, they, they get it. And I think that was so helpful to have those people in my own recovery and so going into this field, I think, is super important and also an honor. I, th- I think being in a place to be able to do this and to help other people um, get to a place where they can feel confident, whatever that looks like, um, I think is really, um, really cool. And yeah. uh, like I said, gratifying and like fulfilling. Yeah, that's awesome. And using your experiences, your past experiences to help people, just as you said, it's so fulfilling. And there's something about it because it's like, not only are you able to help someone, but you're able to empathize with them. And, you know, you know what it's like to struggle at that point. And you can say, hey, I know it's hard, but like, you will come out of this. Yeah, absolutely. And like being someone that can you know hold hope for a client or just like believe in them when they're really struggling I think you know going back to what I said before like those specific things were like so helpful for me from you know my therapist my dietitians that I had that I think like I I don't know it's also part of me wanting to like give that back um yeah yeah for sure what inspired you to start your social media account So I started my social media account when I was in, I think right after my freshman year of high school. And I was like, oh, I like to cook. I like bake. I'll share what I'm making. Um, But I, it was more so geared towards like, you know, me thinking like, oh, this is healthy. So like I'll post it. It's all about like health and wellness and that kind of thing. Um, whereas now it's much more like, like you will see me posting all types of food, like not what, you know, society deems as healthy or unhealthy or things like that. But it definitely started, um, from me, like becoming more interested in nutrition, um, early on in high school 
And it was actually before I started really getting into running. And then once I started getting into running, like a little bit about that too, um, kind of sharing like running and stuff like that. Um, but it's definitely morphed since then. Yeah. Yeah. How has that account been an outlet for you throughout the years, just with everything that you've gone through? Definitely. Um, I think the biggest thing was finding community. Um, I think it, you know, we talked about, we talked about earlier how eating disorders can be really isolating and, you know, obviously my parents and like healthcare providers and, you know, close friends who I like confided in, like they were all very supportive and helpful, but it just made such a difference in knowing meeting other people who are going through the same thing and just knowing that I wasn't alone I think that that was that was huge and you know finding those people who were were really attacking recovery head-on and you could tell and and becoming inspired by them and kind of getting to know them more and 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 it seems weird because it's literally all on social media which I never thought I would be that person um to be honest have like quote-unquote internet friends um but I think that it really changed the game and and helped me hold myself accountable and also give me hope like oh like that person's like really thriving and like they chose recovery and that kind of thing so it was definitely beneficial. And I think it also had to do with finding, you know, the right people, people who um, were positive in, in preaching recovery. Yeah. And I know personally for me, I didn't go to any treatment center. And so no one around me in my personal life has dealt with what I've dealt with eating disorder wise. And so social media has been a way, as you said, to connect with people. And like all of a sudden you're plugged into this community who knows exactly what you're going through. And everyone's just there to support each other and help each other out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. How can we, as the next generation, destigmatize being smaller means being a better runner? Mm, Yeah. Great question. A loaded question. And one that comes up all the time. And I think it's, you know, talking about like, you know, bringing awareness to the fact that, yeah, there are a lot of elite runners who look very small, quote unquote, shredded, whatever. And I think that it's, it really warps the way we think of what a body looks like. And I think that, you know, it's nothing wrong with, with them, right? It's like, you know, we could be body shaming on the other end of the spectrum and being like, well, they shouldn't be that small. Right. And so I think kind of just having the conversation about like people are runners if they run and that they come in all different shapes and sizes, which sounds funny, but it's true. And I think, um, you know, more and more professional runners are talking about, you know, them dealing with disordered eating, eating disorders, challenges with their mental health and I think it's super helpful body image that too um just like to hear them talk about it because I think a lot of young girls and and guys too um like they look up to these elite runners and it's like well the fact is you're you're not 30 you're not you know you're not even 25 (laughs) like you're a high school athlete 
you may not even have gone through puberty yet. Like there are just a lot of body changes that happen when you're younger. And it's like, you know, you might never look like them, but also you're, you're most definitely not going to look like them at, you know, 14. Yeah. Um, 10 years. And that's okay. Yeah. 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 And that's okay. And, and like I said, too, like, you may never be like that. And you could be just as fast or faster. Like it, it really, there's something I really like. It's, um, you know, the 40 factors um, that, um, 40 factors that influence sports performance. And, you know, one of the factors is weight, but then you're like, wait, there are 39 other factors. Yeah. And it's like sleep and dedication, being coachable, being, you know, resilient, be like yeah. so many other things. And it's like, wow, like, why do we place so much emphasis on weight? Um, and, you know, I, I think it's just kind of the way our society is, is driven, unfortunately, but I think talking about it more and like having those conversations that might be more taboo, um, are, that's like where it starts. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What advice would you give to anyone trying to heal their relationship with food and exercise right now? Yeah. I would say give yourself a lot of grace and compassion because it's hard work. And, you know, if you're really struggling and you're able to reach out for help, because I think that that can really help to have someone kind of holding your hand through it and holding you accountable. And, and it's not a weakness. I think a lot more people struggle, whether it be with um, eating stuff, body image, or just like other mental health concerns in general. And I think a lot of people would, would benefit and really see improvements, um, in just like better overall health and well-being and like a better life overall, if, if they, um, were to reach out for help and granted, that's not accessible to everyone. Um, but if it is, I think that's definitely something that, I um, recommend. Yeah. And then this is my little closing question that I give all the people I interview. What would your last meal on earth be? Uh, I had time to think about this, didn't I? (laughs) (laughs) I, um, Oh, actually, I do know. Pancakes. Pancakes. I love pancakes with real maple syrup. I'm from the Northeast, so I'm a stickler for like Vermont maple syrup, you know, I'm from Connecticut. So like Connecticut maple syrup, um, you know, cause we have maple trees. So yeah. I, I think, yeah, I also love peanut butter on my pancakes. Um, honestly, anything add chocolate chips, you know, the whole nine yards, you got to go for it. No one's ever said pancakes. So that's interesting because I feel like pancakes are quite look like overlooked. Um, very they overlooked. are, they're, they are very customizable. So I love that answer. well thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast and being interviewed where can people find you sure so you can find me at kate's daily eats and daily is spelled d-a-l-e-y play on my last name on instagram and then kate's daily eats nutrition which is my website.com or um mindbodyendurance.com which is the private practice I consult for and we treat athletes with eating disorders so you can find me in a lot of places 
<laughs> awesome. Go follow Kate. Go find her on all the places she just listed. You will not regret it. Thank you so much to everyone for listening, and I will see you in the next one.